This morning, uh, it's a terrific morning to be together. And uh, this morning we want to uh, celebrate, we want to focus on uh, two practices that uh, were very much part of the very early church, that was very much part of um, the life of those people who followed Jesus, and also very much part of the church, and specifically the Baptist church here, um, and that's communion and baptism. Well, one of the great things about um, being in this church is that it, we, we have a, just a terrific facility here. Uh, yesterday looked very different uh, to what you see right now. Uh, yesterday in here, some of the, you will gasp, but there was a treasure hunt in here yesterday for preschoolers. They were having a great old time. So if you find chocolate under your seat, you just enjoy it or whatever. <laughs> there was a jumping castle out there, and there, was, um, and there were animals like real animals, not fake animals, like real animals in our, in our kids' wing as our playgroups had uh, just a great celebration uh, yesterday as Christmas event for a playgroup uh, that has about 70, 75 families through each week. And they brought all their families. And uh, the sausages were very well cooked, I thought, Tim. Tim and I did the sausages, but we're very humble about it. But we, we had a... But it was a great day. It was a great day. And it just reminded me as I was driving home what, what fanta- fantastic facilities that we have here at Kilsyce South that we are able to enjoy every week. And for those of you who are visiting, we're on five acres. We have, uh, we have a basketball court out there. We have a community garden. We have portables out there. Uh, we have all sorts of things here. And we're just so fortunate uh, with what we have here. But here's the thing, though. You can have the most beautiful building. You can have the greatest basketball court. In a moment, we could get into a, we're going to get into a very comfortable baptismal uh, pool, uh, handrails, all sorts of things. It's, it's very nice. No jets or anything like that, but it's, it's very comfortable. You know, We can have all these facilities. But here's the thing. It's what you focus on. It's what the focus is about. If it's all about the nice building and all the nice things that we have, we've got it all wrong. So we want to look at these two practices and we want to celebrate and experience each one. We don't want to celebrate this very nice table that these elements sit on. We don't want to celebrate the nice baptismal that's behind me. We want to celebrate what they are, what they represent. And we want to practice what we're called to practice when it comes to them. You know, the very early church devoted so much to these practices that they called them sacraments, that they were such very, very special practices. The idea of a sacrament is that it's something that's so ordinary, but God uses it to make it a vehicle for what is extraordinary. For a baptism, for we use ordinary water, but what takes place in the water is sacred. In communion, as we come around the table, we have bread and we have a cup of juice, and as we eat and as we drink them in a normal fashion, it's what they represent. As you read the Bible, 
you will see very early on in the book of Acts, which is the fifth book of the Bible, for those of you who aren't too sure, but it's the fifth book of the Bible. It really highlights the early church. What took place once Jesus left the earth? And what you will see as you look at the early church, you will see the importance of baptism and communion. You will see words like this as you see in Acts chapter 2, where the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer together. That they did it together. You will see in Acts chapter 8, there's a, there's a story of a, of a man by the name of Philip, that, that God sent Philip, a follower of Jesus, to an Ethiopian who was searching what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, trying to understand the Bible. And we won't go through all of that, but what we read of Philip is, is that this man who became a follower of Jesus and immediately wanted to be baptised, and Philip baptised him. And we see that time and time again as we read through the Bible. Breaking of bread, coming together around the Lord's table, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being baptised. God wants us to be about these two practices, these two sacraments. Sometimes for many of us that come to church, some of us have been coming for a long time, what can happen with baptism and what can happen with communion is this, is you go into autopilot. It's sort of like the pilot who puts the plane, gets it in the air and puts it into autopilot and away it goes. And he sort of doesn't totally forget about it, but his mind is can be in other places, hopefully not too many other places, but he's in autopilot. And sometimes we can get to that place when it comes to communion, even when it comes to baptism. We can forget actually Jesus' presence in these extra special sacraments. So I want to I begin with a bit of a confession because that's where I find myself even at times. And I sense some of you are the same too is that we can actually find ourselves and even embarrass ourselves to think, oh, I'm actually in an autopilot here. I'm not realising just the importance of this, this celebration of someone's baptism, this time around the Lord's table together. I want to share a little bit about baptism. And some of you will know the answers to many of the questions that I'm going to put up but what I want you to do is as I speak this morning think of this for yourself but also for the people here this morning who this idea of baptism is actually new or trying to get their head around it as well as when it comes to communion because what we see in the life of Jesus is that he engaged himself in both of these acts both of these practices And what we have seen now and we continue to see 2,000 years on from the time when Jesus walked the earth is people continue to do baptism and communion. Jesus wanted his followers, those who have committed their life to him, to be about these two practices. Because they're very unique. They highlight to us these things, that we all are sinners, we've all fallen short of God's glory. That there's a gap between the holy, perfect, living God and me, you. 
And the early church in Acts, they, they knew that, they believed it. So, so they did all that they could and it's encouragement for us to do all that we can to continue to close that gap. To remind ourselves that we are forgiven, that we are made right in Christ. What a gift. So to continue to be baptised, to have baptisms, to come around the Lord's table. You know, what we see in the early church and what we do know of is that those people, and we still see this today, people who, who took communion and take communion, who are, who are baptised, are, are persecuted for it. As we gather in this terrific facility, we have such freedom, incredible freedom. But what we do know is the followers of Jesus very early on went through all sorts of things to even come around the table to be baptised. They would lose their jobs. They would be put in prison. They would lose their lives. In places today, I remember speaking to someone who doesn't come here anymore, but his parents do, Gary Purser. I remember speaking to Gary when, when he was living in China and he would tell me stories about how they would have to do baptisms with locked doors and people on guard in people's bathtubs. Just because they so much wanted to be baptised and so much wanted to take communion together. But there, every day, every time they gathered, there would be a chance that they would be arrested for that. But such was the importance for them. There was no questions not to do that. So let's start with baptism and as I speak about baptism and answer a few questions, put some questions out there with some answers, then we'll hear from Fred in just a few moments as he shares with us before his baptism. What's the meaning of baptism? Well, baptism is a one-time event. It's a way of declaring publicly that I'm being baptised and I'm being baptised because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm joining a community of faith in Jesus and it's based on the grace and the love of God. That I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm part of the family of the living God. You know, when Jesus was growing up, the practice of baptism was actually already around. In Jesus' day, we, we read throughout the Bible that it was practiced through the life of John the Baptist. St. John the Baptist who baptized Jesus wasn't a denomination thing. There wasn't John the Baptist and then there was Simon the Methodist or, or James the Anglican or Stephen the Uniting. People were baptised. They wanted to repent. They wanted people to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. And I enter the waters of baptism by showing this. You know, the water is an imagery in some ways of washing of the, the old away and coming up new, new in Christ. Jesus commanded his followers to do the same when it came to baptism as he was baptised. The last things that, that Jesus said as he, after he rose again from the dead and he was with his disciples right near the end before he ascended into heaven. Many of us know this, but some of you might not. He said to those disciples, he said, he said, go and make disciples. Go and share the good news of Jesus. Go and share what you have seen through me. Baptize 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was a big deal. It was a big deal for the early church. I hope it continues to be a big deal for you, for me. People sometimes ask, how much water does it take when you get baptised? And there are lots of different traditions when it comes to baptism. There are some who practice the sprinkling of water. In some uh, traditions, they actually immerse people three times in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In our Baptist denomination, we immerse and we dip folks all the way under, in a sense, as I just explained that reason, of, in a sense, showing that the old is washed away. The newest come as you come out of that water. There's no magic in the water at all. This is Melbourne water. It's clear, unlike Adelaide water, but it's normal water. What we need to remind ourselves is this, that it's Jesus who cleanses. It's not Melbourne water. The water's only a picture of that. Third one is this, is baptism a guarantee of getting into heaven when I die? No. No, it's not. That comes through making a personal decision to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ and for him to be my saviour. And we're going to hear that that's what Fred did. He's not getting in the water today so he can get to heaven. It comes by putting our trust in Jesus. It's a call for response. Heaven is not a guarantee to get to heaven. Being a good person is not a guarantee of getting into heaven. I have lived a good life. I haven't been in prison. I haven't hurt anyone. Well, they're all good things, but it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship. You know, I, I've made numbers in, of important decisions in my life. Some really important ones. When, when Sonia started to want to go out with me, I had to make that decision. Do I want to go out with her? No. That was an important decision for her. But, but there was that important decision of getting married. There was the important decision of going one stage. Do I want to leave... Uh, uh, where I lived and to go over and study overseas was an important decision. Leave finishing here, that's an important decision. The decision of, of, of doing certain things with our money, there's been some important decisions with those sort of things, some really important decisions. But there's no more important decision I've ever made and I ever will make in my whole life of accepting or denying Jesus Christ, Ever. Now, everyone in this room can hear this because you're hearing the message of Jesus right now. And you have an opportunity, if you have never explored Jesus, uh, you cannot walk out of here now going, I never heard of him. You're hearing it from me right now. You can go from here and you can explore what it means to accept or deny Jesus. It will be the most important decision you will ever make. As much as you think it might be who you married, where you work, what you do with your money, the house you bought, how many kids you decided to have or not have. No, no, no. This is the most important decision 
you will ever make and then how you will live that life. And baptism is like, in a sense, a wedding ring. It's the symbol of that decision. Is baptism for adult believers only or is it for infants? Some of you looked at that screen and thought, ooh, I can't wait for that one. (laughs) So you can tune in now. You know, let me say, and sadly, I will say this sadly, Christians really disagree on this and that really breaks my heart anyway that we seem to have to do that. We just totally disagree and say bad things about one another. It staggers me. And, but anyway, that's a sermon for another day. What, what we practice here, for those of you who are wondering, is uh, believers' baptism. Um, because we, we, we believe here that it's, it's when you're old enough to make that faith commitment, your understanding of, of what it means to follow Jesus of then wanting to choose to make that outward expression of an inward decision that you have made to follow Christ. Our practice is that we'll always baptise adults who become Christians and commit their their life every day to follow Jesus. We see that it's pretty hard for infants to make those decisions. But at the same time, I stand here and I totally respect those who have gone through that baptism as an infant and choose not to then enter the waters of baptism, if that's the choice that you make. That's a personal thing for me, and I respect that. Have I baptised people who were um, baptised as an infant and then as they've got older, they've made that decision for themselves too? Absolutely I have. That's their decision. They've made that choice as an adult, And, and I encourage that too. What we need to highlight is that Jesus never thought any less of children, ever. And we see that through the books of the Bible. There are times that Jesus actually said, bring the children to me. Stop denying the children. The kingdom of God belongs to them. One of the things that we do here at Kilsyth, for those that don't know, is we have baby dedications where we, where we want to, uh, families... Um, uh, mum, dad or parents will bring their, their child up and we will dedicate that child to God as a way of acknowledging that child as a gift from God. Children are very much part of the household of God. But I'm, I'm fully aware that there are some of you who have been baptised of infants in that, in that way. But what I would say is that from this church and Baptist churches, Baptist Believer's baptism, is that, the, that is the held belief here. One more question. Can I make it into heaven even if I say no to baptism? Am I still okay? Can I still get in if I'm not baptised? I like to throw this question back to the people a little bit more by saying, it, thinking like that is probably just a concern for me if that's what you're thinking. If you're saying, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I've never been baptised and I've got no plans to do so, then, then in some ways I think, well, what are you saying to Jesus there? That you died for me, you suffered a horrible death for me, and I know you've commanded me to be baptised, but I'm just going to go with a pass on that one. 
I would hope actually as followers of Jesus, that would be one of the first things we would want to do, that you would want to do. Let, let me encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptised, it is a great moment. When you stand in front of a group of people like this, it can be nerve-wracking, absolutely. But what I always say to people is everyone out there is cheering for you. They're so excited for you. And not only in here, but God, God is celebrating what you're doing. He sees that act of obedience. For me, I still clearly remember that experience when I was baptised. I was baptised, you won't know his name, but I remember his name clearly. Andy Wilson, his name was. I still remember he slipped down the steps. That was slightly funny. But um, that's not why I totally remember the day, of course. But I remember just absolutely publicly declaring what Jesus meant for me and my life. It was such a precious moment. If you haven't been baptised, if you're waiting for someone else to be baptised before you decide to get baptised, there might be a spouse or someone, stop waiting. If you're waiting until you no longer sin, well, you'll never get baptised. Or you think, well, I've just got to wait till I'm just right here. I've got to wait till I'm a volunteer in the youth ministry or I'm a welcomer. Or I read my Bible more regularly. Stop waiting. If you're thinking, well, I couldn't really be bothered. It's time to be bothered. Thinking, well, I haven't, I've been a Christian now for a long time and I've held it off and I feel as though that if I do get baptised, they're all going to be out there thinking, well, it's about time you got baptised. Don't, don't let that bother you. Jesus went through so much for us. And this is a great step to show your appreciation, your love for him. I, I will say this. I, I finish up in a couple of months' time here and I would, I would love to baptise numbers of you who I long and have had a few conversations with you to be baptised. I'm okay to say this. I'm leaving now. But I, I would love to, to baptise you. And I'm going to come having more chats with you just to just work it through with you maybe but I would love to you know I've been looking forward to this this time with Fred so much for this day with him so with that I want to introduce Fred to you folks we're all privileged to be here today as Fred uh, comes and shares his uh, a little bit of his his story a little bit of his journey and uh, then for me to be able to baptize him Fred, I'll hand it over to you. To follow. Uh, well, to clarify my thoughts and to hopefully make my testimony more understandable, I've broken it up into several chapters. Chapter one, the journey. My journey to accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour began 75 years ago. I grew up in a family whose life was fully involved with the Brighton Baptist Church. We attended church twice each Sunday and Sunday school every Sunday afternoon. My parents were involved in church activities. 
My father was, in fact, the church choir leader, as well as the leader of the Sunday school anniversary concerts. My grandparents on my mother's side were also deeply involved, as were my aunties and uncles. Church attendance plus associated activities were a big part of my life very early on. As I grew into my teens, I was involved with church sporting teams and was a close friend to many of my fellow teenagers. When in my late teens, my sporting activities became my major focus and as a result, my involvement in the real church activities waned. After Pat and I married, my involvement with church stopped until our children were of Sunday school age. After we moved to Heathmont, the children continued with Sunday school and associated activities. I remained on the fringes, although I continued playing cricket and golf with the church men. I also helped with youth group activities every Saturday evening and assisted with church gardening and for a while, but this slowly dropped away. During this time, I also became involved in motor racing, both modern and vintage sports cars, and with all these activities, plus increasing work pressures, my time for my family and my church suffered. Sport is not the problem. In fact, participation in sporting activities, particularly teams activities, is very beneficial. However, it should not reach the stage where it is dominating your time. Pat continued attending church, which resulted in her accepting the Lord as her saviour in 1979. She was baptised later that year by John Wright. John later became the leader of a group of Heathmont people who formed the initial congregation for the church here at Kilsyth South. He continued as senior pastor for a number of years. Even after I retired in 1991, sport continued to be my main focus. This time it was bowls and darts. We moved to Mount Evelyn almost eight years ago. We visited a few churches and eventually Pat became part of the Vineyard Church in York Road, Mount Evelyn. I continued to dither on the sidelines, still not ready or prepared to make a commitment until... Chapter 2, The Turning Point. We attended John Wright's memorial service almost 12 months ago at this church. I reconnected with a number of friends from our Heathmont days and met many of the wonderful members of this church. We started attending church weekly from January this year and our friendship and fellowship with the people here continued to flourish. What a blessing you people at, are at this church to the wider community. I have been greatly impressed by the sermons by Tim and others during this year. Finally, Tim's service, sermon sorry, on the legacy we hope to leave after we've gone on the 8th of October was the straw that broke this sinner's back. After lunch that day, I sat down to discuss my faith with Pat and it was at this point that I committed myself to follow Jesus Christ. Thanks, Pat.
After so many years dithering on the fringes, you have no idea the relief I felt when I took that final leap of faith. So chapter 3, why did it take 75 years? I have no excuse. I continually found myself unable to take that final leap and accept Jesus as my saviour. During my time at Brighton and at Heathmont, I had great teachers and friends. In particular, I must at this time thank Rex Hayward for his gentle encouragement over many, many years. My wife, Pat, has also been a constant source of encouragement. In fact, for all my life, I've been a lover of hymns and Christian choruses. Many of them move me to tears. I play them on, on the piano at home and try to sing them to myself at times. So, for the answer, we must read his word daily and by prayer allow and Christ to direct our thoughts and actions. Friends, as you are my witnesses and with your encouragement, this is how I plan to continue my life. Chapter 5. We're getting there. The Bible passage I give to you. I started reading the Bible again daily in recent months. Whilst I'm still a novice and have a long way to go, one passage is stuck in my mind. The passage is Luke chapter 17, verses 21 and 22. It reads, Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come visibly, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. What this means to me is that until you allow the Holy Spirit to enter your heart and mind, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Chapter 6, final word. For anybody present who is yet to commit to Christ, my prayer for you is that you do not waste 75 years like I have. I'm being baptised here today to follow the example of Christ and to symbolise the death of my old life and the birth of my new Christian life. I believe that I need Jesus Christ to guide my remaining days so that I may have eternal life with him. Thank you, Tim, wherever you are, for your help and encouragement over the years. And thank you all for listening to me and for your support and fellowship. Thank you. I've asked Tim to allow me to bring you a chorus from my Sunday school days. It was taught to us by my dad for a Sunday school anniversary some 70 years ago and it has remained one of my favourite over the, over the years. I've asked Eleanor and John to join me on stage and with a bit of luck they'll drown out my voice. I'll read it to you first and then we'll sing it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son to die on Calvary's tree from sin to set me free. 
Someday he's coming back. What glory that will be. Wonderful his love to me. Thanks, Jim. sing it one more time. chapter 6. It's baptism. And um, it is a privilege uh, for me to be able to, uh, to be able to baptise Fred. And uh, what we do know is that um, Fred is a total, uh, totally committed to Jesus Christ. And uh, the other thing that we know about Fred is that um, he, uh, he wants to be obedient to uh, to, to God in, in his days to come. And one of those things, not too bad, is it? It's no. nice and warm. There you go. Uh, is uh, that uh, he wants to be baptised. And uh, when I uh, do baptisms, I used to think, uh, uh, I used to ask questions of people like, uh, uh, are you a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? And I used to think, well, they just said that, Tim, for the last 20 minutes. Why are you asking him that question? So I'm not going to ask you that question because that is uh, so clear to us, Fred. And uh, it's been a privilege for all of us to hear what you have shared and your willingness to be so open with us. And uh, you have this desire, which I hope is contagious of others, to also want to tell other people about their faith in Jesus Christ and also the example that you're setting to others. My one question to you is, uh, is this. Uh, are you committed to... Uh, being obedient in the coming days, months and years, for however much longer you are on this earth, uh, to following the teachings and the ways of Jesus Christ. Yes, I am. Well, with that in mind, it's going to be my privilege to be able to baptise you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Cross your hands there, Fred. Yep. It's mm -hmm. my privilege to be able to baptise you in the name of the Father okay. and the Holy Spirit. Yep. Hey! Hey! hey. hey. 
I'm going to ask um, Susie to come up and finish uh, the prayer in, as I started, because I've got to get changed really quickly because I've got part two of my message. Yeah. But I definitely, um, I want to pray for you, and then there'll be a little bit of silence, Susie, for ten minutes, and then no, a <laughs> silence, and then Susie's going to get up. So let's pray for friend. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this man of God, that he loves you, and he has a desire to follow you. Thank you for this precious time together. May he know your peace, your love that passes all understanding that is so great. And I commit him to you now. God, I want to just pray for each person, even in these moments right now, that they would just take a moment to give thanks for Fred in their own prayers, but maybe even for themselves, what this means for them about their own decisions in life, even when it comes to a relationship with you, or even if it is baptism that they would be bold that they would be strong as Fred has even shared with us that willingness to take the steps so we take these moments God to lift our prayers to you now what a privilege it is to um, be part of that and to hear God's name glorified through that baptism and I would love to speak to anyone that would like to be baptized um, at any time as we come around the communion table and uh, this, this is another um, practice, another sacrament that Jesus instituted. And the early church was, uh, was very devoted to this, this practice. And uh, sometimes, again, when it comes to uh, communion in a church service, and even Kilsyth and any churches, we can actually tack it on to the service. We'll give it two minutes. Give it three minutes. And we can forget or just not even focus on the importance of it. And what we see in the early church, as we read through Acts, we see that this was the case too. And we see it even in the words of Paul, who many times when you go to a Baptist church, or you go to numbers of churches, when they read uh, a passage of Scripture before communion is taken, they will usually read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it was written by Paul, and Paul was one of those guys who... Uh, before he became a follower of Jesus, he did not like Jesus' followers at all. He was in the business of persecuting them, putting them in prison. But he had a life-changing event. And he, like Fred, came into faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he wrote much of the New Testament. For those of you that don't know, he wrote much of it. And when he was talking about the Lord's Supper, he had some very striking words that don't always get read uh, but, but I think are really important words as you come around the Lord's table every time. And he said, he said these words that when, whenever or whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in the Lord's name and he does that or she does that in an unworthy manner will be actually sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's pretty heavy words highlights to me more than anything the importance of what we're doing as we come together around the table uh, that we, we call communion. This time we call communion. There's a seriousness to it. What we approach here in the Baptist church or Kilsite, but many Baptist churches as we come to communion is a time of remembering. It's a remembering of what God has done through Jesus. And, and what he is doing now, to remember that as much as we can forget it so easily. 
Jesus, who is always present at all times and in all places, is, is here in a very special way as we come to this time in the service. As, as we take the communion, it expresses to us what happened just before Jesus went to the cross. It was the last meal that Jesus took, that Jesus had before he suffered and he died on the cross. He gathered with his disciples, those who had followed him for three years. He gathered with them in a small room and they, and they had dinner together. And, and times of meal back then was very, very important. They were very significant times. And, and what, we, what we see with Jesus is people used to give him a really hard time with who he ate with. If you read through, you'll notice that the uh, religious people used to get stuck into him, of, that he was the man who ate with sinners, the downtrodden in society. What we also see with Jesus when we read through the, the Bible, you see his life, you see that Jesus was always invited to a meal. Jesus was a guest at many meals, but this meal, you see that Jesus was the host. He was the host at this table. And he shared this meal with his friends in this borrowed room, in this borrowed table. And Paul says, he calls communion the Lord's table. This was his table. And, and what we also read that Jesus says that I've, he said, I eagerly await this meal with you. We see this in Luke 22. And this was the last time that he hosted this meal. He said, as he gathered his friends, I want you to do this. I want you to eat this bread and I want you to do it on a regular basis. And, and I want you to do that because I want you to remember. I want you to remember my body that was broken for you. My hands that were nailed to the cross. My feet that were nailed to the cross. My side that was pierced by a sword. My, my head that was torn by a crown of thorns. And, and he took the cup after he took the bread and he said, I want you to drink this cup and I want you to do it on a regular basis. And I want you to remember my blood that was poured out for you. So you could, you could be right with me. You could have life in me, through me. I died, I died so you could live. So do this in remembrance of me. Now, imagine if you were one of the disciples and you were sitting there that day around that table and, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. I, I probably would have been thinking, are you serious? How can I ever forget this? But Jesus knew a lot better. He knew that we would forget what he's done. What he's done for us. So we need this reminder. Because I can forget what he's done for me. I can forget many times every day. We see in the Bible there is a lot of remembering. There's a lot of times of remembering and the importance of remembering. We see in the Old Testament that God would say, build, build this altar and, and do that so you can remember what I have done for you. And, and remembering is, is so much more than just recalling. It's remembering something that, that if, you, if you do it right, 
What was real once becomes present again. It becomes real once again. I love the story that's told by a pastor called John Ortberg. And he says, years ago, the first time that I ever served in a church, I had a friend, an elderly woman, and she asked me if I'd help out at her parents' anniversary. It was a special occasion because her parents were celebrating 65 years of married life. And we had to have a celebration. I asked, what do they want at the event? And she said, most of all, they want the songs. The songs when they were young. They wanted to hear the words and the music that would remind them of when they were young and first fell in love. Music has a way of doing that. So we gathered in this large room with a couple of hundred people. The guests of honour sat in two chairs next to each other. White hair, wrinkles and walking sticks. And they began to hear these songs sung and express the love and the memories of a lifetime. They began to remember. She looked at him and in her eyes he was not old and trembling anymore. He was once again this young, strapping, strong, handsome groom that she'd pledged herself to 65 years earlier. And when he looked at her, he didn't see what anybody else saw. He didn't see the wrinkles and the white hair. He saw this slender, smooth-skinned, raven-haired girl of his dreams. They stood up and they began one last dance together. It took them a while just to stand up. At first they shuffled and they shuffled awkwardly and then somehow they were moving with grace. His back was straight and firm and her face was lifted up towards him. 65 years just melted away and they were bride and groom again. And it was all because of one song. Jesus says to his followers, I want you to remember. I want you to remember. And if you do it right, this part of what makes this sacrament a holy moment, a sacred thing. Present once before becomes present again. Jesus is the host at the only table, in a sense, that he ever really had. And he offers us the only thing that he had. In his poverty, he has to offer, and that is himself. And that's what we remember, who and what he has done, and what it means for us today. This is, this is a moment we can enjoy together. Baptism is one time, one time. Communion is something that Jesus instituted for us to keep doing time and time and time and time again until we leave this earth or he returns. Why? So we can recall and remind ourselves what he has done. Hopefully we should look forward to this, that we should want to do this. Because we do keep messing up. I keep messing up. You keep messing up. We keep falling down. We're tempted to say, God, I, I, you can't forgive me anymore. 
But he says, no, remember what I've done for you. And with this comes forgiveness. With this comes my love for you, for what I have done. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. I want to just give you a few moments of silence and just to reflect for a moment before we do come around the Lord's table. This is a holy moment. This is a time where we remember what, that, that God gave his son Jesus, that he gave his life for me, that he died in my place so that I can be in relationship with him, that I am free from death if my relationship is in him for what he has done for me. We might come at this time with some deep regret. And I want to give you a few moments to to bring before God anything that's on your heart, your mind, that you would like to bring before him now, before the communion elements are served. So you are in a right relationship with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus at this time, there's no judgment given here at all, but it is appropriate for you to just let the bread and the cup pass by. It's, It's not an exclusive thing in any way, but it's really only a meaningful meal to take when we're in a relationship with Jesus. Let me give you a few moments at this time to think about what Jesus has done who he is and what he has done. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world and that he died and he rose again. So whoever uh, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And that belief is that he died and he rose again and because he died and rose again, he overcame death. And that's what we remember today of what that, the significance of that. So as you drink this morning, Take a moment to just reflect on that Bible verse many of us know so very well. Thank you, God, for this time, this privileged time together. This time around your table. What it represents, what it highlights for us. And the hope that it gives to us as we drink Uh, today this cup and we take this bread we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that he stood in our place that he took all of sin he took all of death on so that we can be made alive in the living God and the hope that that gives us for today and tomorrow and then into eternity And at this time, God, we we pray for the world in which you live. We know that you are a God who creates all good things. But we know within our world, there are things that are not good. Where there's breakdowns in friendships, in relationships between countries. Where people like a country like us, we have so much. We know there are many in even our country that have so little. And around the world who suffer in ways that are inhumane. So our prayer today is for the leaders of our world and of our country. We pray for Australia that we would be a generous country 
And I pray for the leaders, the men and the women in leadership in our state, in our local community, in our, even as our, our federal parliament, that even at this Christmas time, it may be a time to prompt them to think about their generosity. But most importantly, I pray for each person here who's a follower of yours, especially here today, that we would think about our heart of generosity, that we would not be storing up riches for ourselves, that moth and rust will destroy one day, that our hearts would be generous because of that is the call you've given to us. We pray for your church here at Kilsyth. We pray for those food parcels that are going to be going out soon. Lead us, God, to the people that most need them, we would pray. But we pray for the leaders of our country and our state and our local areas. We pray, God, at this time too for uh, the people who sit in here this morning who are going through some really difficult times where there's a sense of lack of hope, there's the loss of job, there's the loneliness in their home. That God, in your mighty way, that you would, you would reveal yourself to them in a new way that would give them the hope they need, that they are loved by you in a world where they feel unloved. And I thank you for those who are here today who have come for Fred's baptism. I thank you, God, that, that they have come. I really feel and I know, God, that you are glad they are here. Thank you for the investment they have played into Fred's life the friends they have been, the family they have been. I pray that today would encourage them. I pray for those who are here today that have come, not only from Fred's family but others, who are yet to put their faith in you, that they would realise that this is the most important decision they will ever make, not only for their life here on earth but into eternity. And I pray for those who are yet to be baptised again, God, I pray that the promptings they may even be feeling right now, that they wouldn't not respond to them, they wouldn't take action, but they would want to enter the waters of baptism and show obedience as we've seen through Fred this morning. Finally, God, we pray for this community offering that's going to be collected. We pray again that the monies that are given would be used to be able to help the most needy in our community. So we thank you for the opportunity to be generous once again for your kingdom's sake. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen.